Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. How are we doing, everybody? Good, good. Super glad to hear that. Hey, we are uh, this week wrapping up a series that we've been in uh, for about the past month or so that is called Counterculture. And what we've been doing is we've been taking a look through the book of First Peter, and we're looking at the way that Peter is commanding us, the church, the way he's teaching us as the church to respond counterculture uh, around the topic of a couple of different things, a couple of different ideas. Uh, we've talked about things such as holiness and hope and how we respond to persecution and submission. Uh, and what makes us counterculture in the way that we do all of these things as the church uh, is one, we respond to these things in a way that the world says, uh, I don't really know if that makes sense. Or we respond to those things in a way that people wouldn't expect us to respond to those things. And so as we get ready to wrap up this series and as we get ready to head into Easter Sunday, I think we're wrapping up on a pretty uh, appropriate note as we talk about a counterculture type of love. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter today. We're going to be moving through uh, the book of 1 Peter. We're actually going to be looking at a lot of the Bible today. That's the reason why I have my iPad up here with me. Uh, something that I've had people comment on before is, why do you have your Bible if you're just going to read off an iPad the whole time? Because um, we have a lot of scripture and my hands aren't that fast. I can't flip through back and forth a lot. And this is kind of here in case like stuff breaks out and we need to like, you know, address some other things. Uh, and then I also have paper notes here in case my iPad dies. So that's just covering, uh, covering all the bases. Um, as we talk about this idea of love, uh, counterculture love in specific, uh, love is a funny concept, is it not? Like, especially in our culture. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was looking at my wife's Instagram page and her bio says, it has heart emoji, Jesus, tacos, and Aaron. <laughs> and I was upset for a couple of reasons. <laughs> uh, one, how do you fit tacos in the same category as me and Jesus? And two, why am I in third place? Like, that doesn't seem like the right list of priorities, right? And so we can make fun of her, which I often do when I get on stage, but if we turn a mirror on ourselves, and if we think about the way that we relate to love, the same thing happens quite often, doesn't it? I mean, if I was to poll people in the room and say, hey, are you generally a loving sort of person? Most of us go, oh, Aaron, I, I love everybody. I love everything, I love love, I love the smell of fresh cut grass, like I'm just a loving somebody, but if we were to take that and we were to ask a few more specific questions, then the answers, they start to get a little more nuanced, right? If I ask you, hey, would you consider yourself a loving person? You'd probably say, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm a loving person. I love everything. I love everybody. Okay, well, well, what about those loosey-goosey Democrats and those tight-wound Republicans? Well, I don't hate them. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say I hate them. That seems a little bit extreme, right? Okay, well, well what about that family member who you haven't talked to in a couple of years. Oh, well, you know, she's just, she knows if she really needs me, she can call me. Now, I'm not gonna call her because that's an admission of guilt. I learned that, but what I'm, if, if she ever needs anything, she knows she can pick up the call if she'll admit she's wrong and, and I'll answer. Sometimes for us, it's, it's, it's a little bit closer to that. Okay, let's not talk about family, right? Let's talk about friends for a second. What about that friend that stabbed you in the back? Do you love them? Oh, Aaron. 
how could I ever love them after what they did to me? How could I ever forgive them after what they did to me? Do you hate them? Ah, that seems a little bit tough. Okay, what about when you were in traffic the other day and you were stuck at that red light and the moment that it turned green, the guy behind you honked on you. You're like, oh no, I hate that guy. Like, I do not like him at all, right? Listen, we would never, as good Southern folk, good Christian people, we would never say we hate people because in the South, that's about as close to a curse word as you can get, right? We might say, bless your heart. We won't say we hate you. (laughs) But speaking of the heart, The thing that scripture makes so clear time after time after time is that the idea of love and hate, it has nothing to do with the words that come out of your mouth. It's actually about the condition of your heart. See, many of us, we would never say, oh, I hate this thing or I don't love that person. But we resolve it in our hearts all the time, right? It's just kind of a natural thing that we do. And so here's the the issue with us as the church right? Uh, We need to recognize that love for us, the way it's painted in scripture, it's a (laughs) non-negotiable. And it's a non-negotiable for two real clear reasons. The first one is that the Bible is clear that love is our response to what God has done for us, right? So uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, uh, Peter, he has this short verse that you just kind of find in the middle of the first chapter, and it, it packs so much weight. Let's read it together. It says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, okay? This is, this is a short verse, but it is packed with truth. The first is that we are saved when we believe, okay? That is, that is important to know. If you are here, uh, if you're watching online, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but maybe you're showing up to Christianity and you're saying, hey, what do I have to do to like be in the club? Like how much do I have to perform? How much community service do I have to give? How many Bible passages do I need to remember? Listen, it's not that. This verse tells us it's when you believe that faith comes alive in your life. That is when your sins are forgiven. That is when, when you have uh, embraced the love that Jesus has for us. But then Peter brings it a little bit further and he says, now as a result of that, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Which means everyone who is in the community of faith, listen, listen to me because I think this is, this is huge. I truly think this will change the way that you view church, uh, community, your small group, like all this stuff. You ready for me? Peter is saying here, that the way, the primary way that you relate to those who have also put their faith in Jesus is as a brother or a sister in Christ. That is the primary way. So, so we're no longer coworker and boss or babysitter or classmate or any of those. Like, yes, those things may be true. Those might be peripherals. But the truth is the thing that binds us together is that we are brother and sister in Christ. So no matter how many differences we have, we align on the most important thing. And because of that, I'm called to love you as family. And that type of love that Peter calls us to, it's a deep love. It's deep rooted. It it, it goes past the boundaries. We are to love one another deeply. This verse, 1 Peter 1.22, it's the gospel in a verse. And so many times when we think about the gospel, we think, oh, Jesus, uh, he came down to earth, he died, he went in the tomb, he came up, he resurrected, that's the gospel. But I would actually argue with you that the way that we love one another in the community of faith is a part of the gospel message. Let me tell you why I believe that, because Jesus himself, uh, in John chapter 14, verse 35, uh, he says something that's astounding. He's hanging out with his, his disciples at the Last Supper, 
And uh, this is actually right before he tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times on his way to the cross. Uh, but Jesus says something that's, that's huge. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus is about to go to the cross and eat its lunch and rise back from the dead. And Jesus says, for some people, that won't be enough. It's the way that you love one another that will prove to the world that I really am who I say I am and that you truly follow me. I think Jesus understands, listen, there's some people whose theology isn't gonna line up the right way. There are some people who you can proclaim to and you say, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. He wants to welcome you into the family. Okay, that's fine. But when they show up to the family, what are they gonna get? Are they gonna experience that same type of love? Are they gonna experience everything that we talk about in community with one another? Are they gonna to get to experience a type of love in the church that can't be found anywhere else? What's fascinating is that uh, the Bible, it actually talks shockingly little um, about how we as Christians are called to love those outside of the church. Like it's there, don't get me wrong, uh, but it spends so much more time uh, talking about how we as Christians, as we in the community of faith, how we should love one another. And I find that super interesting. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit later on, but before I do, uh, I just wanna make a couple of clarifying statements. You're gonna hear me use the word church a lot today, and I wanna clarify what I mean by that. The first is that the church, it's people, it's not a program. Uh, so if I were to walk up to you or if a stranger were to walk up to you out in public and say, hey, do you go to church? You say, yeah, I go to church. And they say, well, where do you go to church? You'd say, I go to Hope. And if they were to ask you, what do you think about Hope? You say, oh, I love my church. And typically what people mean when they say that is, uh, I love the preaching or um, I love the convenience because it's like conveniently located around my house or uh, I love the music, especially because it's loud enough that when I drop my kids off at Kid City, I can't hear them scream. Like all those things together, that's my church experience. That's what I like. But if I were to ask you, hey, do you love Steve? You'd be like, who is Steve? Steve's the guy at your church. As a matter of fact, Steve is the church, right? So when we talk about loving the church, we're not talking about loving buildings or programs or uh, events. We're talking about loving people. The second part of this is that the church, those people that we're talking about, it's a collection that is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multi-denominational. Like all of those things are wrapped up. And that is a part of the beauty of the community that we find ourselves in. The beauty is, is that we don't all look the same. And there may be some issues where we don't even think the same. We aren't all in the same age or stage of life, but somehow we can still get along. That is the gospel coming to life. The problem is, is that these attributes that are supposed to make us so beautiful are actually the things that we draw the hardest lines with. And before we realize it, we, we end up with millennials against the boomers. And we end up with Baptists against the Pentecostals. And we end up with the American church versus the immigrants. And then it just becomes a bunch of warring back and forth. And now well, there's nothing countercultural about that at all, is it? That seems to be just in lockstep with the way that the rest of culture and society runs. But Peter is actually trying to let us know that things are supposed to be different. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look uh, at the letter of 1 Peter, but we're also going to take a look at the life of 1 Peter because I think they both hold hands really, really well together. Uh, and we're going to explore three different attributes of what a counterculture type of love looks like. And the first one is this, it's unconditional. 
unconditional. You know, uh, Peter, when, when this book, um, when the letter was written, it was written in Greek and the word for love that he uses, uh, it's also, it, it's always attached to an adjective. And we lose that in, in the English language, but in Greek, uh, the adjectives that he always pairs it off with, it's one of the two. It's either brotherly love, meaning he's emphasizing that idea of family, or it's a, a, an unconditional type of love. And every time he talks about the way that we relate to one another, that's how he does it. He says that the love that we have for one another should love in spite of offenses. We should all love in spite of offenses. And so when you hear that, I want you to recognize that this idea is immediately counterculture. And I'm going to say something that's going to, it's going to, it's going to pack a lot of weight, but I want you to hear what I'm saying, and I, and I mean it 100%. When we look at the way that culture treats people right now, um, I think it is completely a tool of Satan to drive a wedge in our societies. And I say that because if you were here for week one or if you listened to week one of this series, Chase, he talked about three ways that Satan uses to attack us. And two of those three ways were indoctrination and isolation. And if those two words don't describe cancel culture, I don't know what does. Cancel culture is built on the idea of indoctrination of saying, hey, you messed up one time, you are that mistake. You'll never bounce back from it. You'll never be anything better than you are. You messed up, so we're done with you, buddy. <laughs> and then that always leads to isolation. And in our culture, what that looks like is, oh, well, we're going to push you to the margins. We don't want to read your books. We don't want to see your movies. You can't be the head coach of that football team. We're not going to listen to a podcast if your name's on it. Like, nothing. We are done with you. And that is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to die for. It's in those moments when culture says, hey, you're done, that the church door should fling open and say, welcome home. <laughs> That's when we bring people in. You know why? Not because we sweep sin under the rug, not because sin doesn't have consequences, but it's because we've all sinned and we've experienced the love of a savior who doesn't cancel us. So what if we were a church where the people that you look at to your left and to your right were the type of people who were still a little bit messed up? What would that look like? What if when you got on the elevator in the lobby, you had to clutch your purse a little bit because Tony still has a history? Hey, that's okay. Tony can still come back. <laughs> I want to know, hey, I'm probably going to lock my doors before I go into the building because not everybody's been here as long as I have. <laughs> and that's okay. That's a type of grace that is poured out. It's an unconditional sort of love. And, and if I'm honest, um, I don't know if I've ever experienced unconditional love from a person. Uh, and the reason why I say that, I don't, I don't think that there's like no one, in, like I'm sure my wife would say, oh, I love you no matter what. The thing is, is I haven't tested all the conditions yet. So until I'm in the grave, we're not going to really know <laughs> if it's an unconditional sort of love. But I do know I've experienced this from God. I do know I've experienced this from God. I was, uh, I was living in California a few years ago and, uh, and I was... Um, I had stopped at a coffee shop and I was, uh, I was just doing like my Devo time, spending some time in my word. And, uh, and, and I go, and it was one of those days where you just felt dry. Like, like hey, I'm, I'm going to try to read the Bible, but I don't really know if I'm going to get anything out of it today. Um, and the reason why is because there was some sort of sin issue that I was dealing with in my life. And, and I can't remember what it was. I sin a lot, so it could have been anything. Um, but then I came across a chapter from a guy who also sinned a lot. His name was David. And David's actually singing praises in response to the fact that we worship a God who doesn't cancel us when we sin. And it's Psalm 103. 
Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 10. But listen to the way, listen to the way that, that Peter, or I'm sorry, that David describes the love of God. He says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us. Listen to this, as we deserve. For him, I'm sorry, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Y'all, this is so good. Can we get excited about the thing we came here to celebrate? Like this, this is the God that we worship. He has removed our sin. Now, listen, hey, I love you. You don't have to clap because I asked you to clap. I want you to mean it. Like, I really want you to celebrate the fact that the Lord is like a father to his children. He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him for he knows, check this part out, he knows how weak we are he remembers we are only dust. And I want to ask you, when someone offends you, do you remember that they're only dust? <laughs> that they're just human like we are? Do, do you remember that, that they are weak just like you are? That there is a grace that you have experienced from a God who refuses to cancel you, and now you're called to extend that grace to other people? I remember uh, I was at the gym in, um, this was like a long time ago. So don't think any, I'm not flexing on you. I can't flex on you because I haven't been in the gym in a long time. But uh, I was at the gym and uh, there was this guy who was there and he was, uh, he was really overweight. Um, and he was on the treadmill. And I remember seeing this guy and thinking, we might need to get him some help. <laughs> like he looks like he's not going to make it. And that was a genuine concern that I, like he's wheezing and, you know, sweating buckets. And there were these high school kids that were there and they were making fun of this guy. And I thought, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. This guy knows that he has health issues. He knows that he has to get in shape. He's here trying to get better and you're going to make fun of him? We don't see people in hospital beds pointing fingers and laughing at everybody else who's sick. So when it comes to the church, we need to put on that same mindset. Hey, listen, we're all just patients in a hospital trying to get better. We're here to see the good doctor. I'm not going to give you a hard time in that. I want to show you the type of grace and the love that's been shown to me. And then when we experience that in community, man, we are putting a picture on the face of Jesus. So the first way that Peter calls us to love one another is just like it's drenched in grace from head to toe. It's, it's unconditional. The second that I want to hit on for a little bit here is the idea of it's, it's, it's love in proximity. It's a love that's close. It's a love that's not from a distance. And if I'm honest, I don't think, uh, I don't think Peter actually writes about this a ton in the letter of first Peter, but we do see it in Peter's life uh, a lot. Like if you're interested in Peter, if this whole study around first Peter has like really gotten your attention, go ahead and read Acts, read throughout the gospels. Like there's a lot of really, really good stuff in there. Um, and through that, you'll actually see Peter's journey uh, from a bit of a jerk into this guy who would eventually go on to write this letter that we're talking about here today. Uh, I don't think Peter was I don't think he was an expert in, in what it means to be counterculture because that was just his natural bend. I think he became that way after spending time with Jesus and seeing him from, the, from a front row vantage point. I know that for a fact 
Because there's stories all the time where Peter and the other disciples are, are around Jesus. Uh, John chapter four is a great example. Uh, it's Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And what happens in this story is uh, the disciples, they go off to go and get something to eat. And when they come back, Jesus is talking to, to a Samaritan woman, uh, which means that by cultural, um, religious, and societal standards, there is no reason why Jesus should have been talking to her. And that's just the type of guy Jesus was. Like if you leave him alone for too long and you come back, he's washing the feet of a crackhead. And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, like that was just, that was the type of guy that he was. And so what happens is the disciples show up and, uh, and John actually writes, they all saw him talking to this woman and they, they thought in their minds, he shouldn't be talking to her. But it actually documents that none of them had the nerve to tell him he shouldn't be talking to her. Because <laughs> I think they know, oh, we're going to learn a lesson from Jesus if we involve ourselves here. But Peter actually ends up learning this lesson just by observing Jesus. And, and later on, Acts chapter 10, uh, Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended to heaven by this point. Acts chapter 10 comes into play and uh, we get this really wild story about the, the life of Peter. Um, uh, there's a guy, so you have to understand something about their culture at the time, okay? So you have Jews, which Peter was a Jew, uh, and then you have the Gentiles and the Gentiles were everybody else. Uh, and so there was a, a Gentile, he was a Roman official named Cornelius. And the Bible makes it a point to tell us that Cornelius, uh, he, he, um, him and his family, they're Christians. They believe in God. And one day Cornelius is praying to God uh, and God tells him, hey, send two of your officers over to get Peter and bring him back over here for dinner tomorrow. Okay, so kind of hold on to that, put that in your back pocket. Uh, on the other side of things, uh, Peter is hungry. <laughs> This is where the story gets weird. He's hungry and he falls asleep and he's so hungry, he's thinking about the food in his sleep. And so he had, maybe that's not as weird as I thought. We've all have been there, right? Um, but this, he, he gets this dream of a sheet coming down from heaven. And in it are all of these animals that, that Jewish culture would say, it's unclean to eat these things. These things are impure. And so God says, Peter, eat this stuff. And Peter goes, God, are you kidding me? I'm a good Jew. I would never eat that unclean stuff. And God calls him out and God says, don't you dare call unclean what I've made clean. You're confused because so was Peter. <laughs> what are we talking about? It actually says that Peter had this vision three different times and he had no idea what it meant until Cornelius' officers showed up and brought Peter back to the house. And so the next day they end up at Cornelius's, Cornelius's house. That's not right. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 28, this is what it says. It says, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went up, I'm sorry, and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter the home of a Gentile uh, or to associate with them. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. If I can translate that a little bit for you, what Peter's saying is, is hey, y'all, as a good Jew, I'm not supposed to be here right now. But God told me not to think that way anymore. And I wonder if in our society, we could, we could contextualize that a bit for ourselves and say, you know what, as a good American, there's just some things I'm not supposed to do. There's some people I'm not supposed to associate with. Oh, well, those people over there, they, 
And I think Jesus is calling us into a Peter sort of experience where he says, listen, you need to oppose that with everything in you. There is no room for that sort of division or for those lines to be drawn in the kingdom. I remember um, this was uh, 2020. You guys were there. 2020. It was horrible. Dumpster fire. Um, I remember uh, I, I was like terrified to log into social media because we were divided on everything. Everything. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't like the posts from different news outlets. Uh, it wasn't stuff that had been shared from people I had never heard of before. The things that were the most hurtful for me were the blanket statements made by people I had attended church services with. There were statements being made online uh, by, by good, well-intentioned Christian people towards other good, well-intentioned Christian people that just villainized one another. Like it was discussed, it was like, it was this party versus that party. It was protesters against the non-protesters. It was this group versus that group. And I'm just like, man, why do you identify so much with those things instead of the unity that we have in Christ? And it made it disturbing. It was so hard to be able to log on to social media because, because everybody kind of adapted this, um, this digital courage. <laughs> it's what happens when you don't have to look somebody in the eye. You can type something out on your phone or you can put it on a screen. You can say something about someone who's not in the room and, and, and there's no consequences and that's the problem. That's why I think true love can't exist outside of proximity. Distance dehumanizes people. As long as there are those people over there or those people that I saw on the news or them from that group, you'll always find a reason not to like them. But man, you try sitting across a dining room table from somebody and tell me how long you can really hate them. You take some time to talk to someone and look them in their eyes and recognize, oh man, you, you, you bleed red just like I do. Like you, you are also just a child of God who's trying to figure out life the best that you can. Man, when you get close to people, when you invite people into your house, you wanna know how you, this, I'm gonna give you a practical tool on how to figure out if, you, if you're capable of loving somebody. You ready? Invite them into your house and don't let them take their shoes off before they get on the carpet. And just see what your heart does. Just see how your heart turns towards this person, right? And you say, you know what? I'm gonna love you anyway. You take this seat, you take my seat, you take my chair, and I'm gonna love you anyway. There's something that happens when we allow ourselves to get in close proximity of people. There's something when we take on the heart posture that, that Peter has where he says, stand up. I'm human, just like you are. There's a verse in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to read this to you. Uh, uh, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, meaning you should sympathize with each other. You should love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. Let me ask you a question. When you look back on 2020, would you say, Let's not, let's not talk about people outside of the church. Let's just talk about the church for a second. Would you say that we were of one mind? Would you say that we sympathized with one another? Did we love like a family? Were we tenderhearted? How about, let's, let's check this one out. Did we all maintain humble attitudes? Or did we embrace a level of self-righteousness? I'm guilty of it as well. And that's the reason why when I read this, it breaks my heart to realize, man, there are so many times where my brothers and sisters, I've dropped the ball at loving them the way Jesus loved me. Jesus loved me in proximity. 
Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message. He says that Jesus put on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. And then he loved us. And what I would say is the third counterculture way that we're called to love, and that's sacrificially. Countercultural love, it cost us something. The world that we live in, uh, it would use phrases like, oh, well, we fall in love, but that is so opposite of what we're called to. Uh, our love is called to be intentional and it's called to be costly. F- about five or six times throughout the letter of, of 1 Peter, Peter uses these words that says, even if, which means this is how we are to love those who are unlovable and forgive those who are unforgivable. It's sacrificial and it costs us something. And usually what happens in our minds is we try to play judge and we start to say, yeah, but look at what this person did. I'm going to decide whether or not this person is worthy of love. Can I lovingly and respectfully tell you it is not your job to make that decision. God made that decision and we celebrate it next weekend. It's called Easter. It's when he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us, for all of us. So when we try to determine, man, is this person worthy of love? Listen, John 3, 16 says God already dropped the gavel. The decision's over. (laughs) They are worthy of love and it is our job to show that love to them, even if it costs something. Jesus, he doubled down on this idea in Matthew chapter five, verses 46 to 47. He says, listen, if you love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. Translation, there's nothing counterculture about a love that's convenient. That's the way the entire world operates. Jesus commands us to love even when it's not easy. Well, Aaron, I'm not Jesus. I can't be perfect. Funny you said that. Uh, Verse 48, Jesus says, but you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. And this is probably one of the most intimidating and like for me personally misunderstood verses in the entire Bible because I'm like, how am I supposed to be perfect the way that God's perfect? Listen, I don't know, but for some reason, and this is for you to explore in your small groups together and and call me if you find the answer. For some reason, Jesus tells us, uh, when he tells us how to love, he feels like it's necessary to, to patch that together and pair that with the idea of perfection. It's almost as if he's saying, if there's one thing you get right, It has to be the way that you love one another. Now, I mentioned um, this is is an expectation that that we have on us as the community of faith on on how to love one another. And it is is surprising to me um, that that Jesus doesn't talk more or that, that the entire Bible as a whole doesn't talk more about why we're to focus on those in this community uh, before or more than we focus on those outside of this community. So me and the team, we've been wrestling with this. We've been thinking about it, praying about it. Uh, and I think there's two reasons. And the first is really practical. One is a lot of these like letters, uh, they're, they're written to churches, right? They're written uh, to Christ followers. So it makes sense that, that it would say, hey, this is how y'all are supposed to treat y'all. Okay. Um, but then uh, I wonder, like, why did Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in John 14, why didn't he say, uh, the way you love everyone out in the world will be the proof that you're my disciple? Doesn't that seem weird? Doesn't it seem weird that he specifies the way you love one another? 
So I thought about that and I said, well, well what would the reason be? And, and this is it. Um, uh, I like to think of the church as, uh, as a reverse football team. You all look very confused. Okay. Um, I think of the church as a reverse football team. Here's what a, what a football team does, right? All week long, they get together at their practice facility and uh, they say, hey, these are the plays that we're going to run this week. Here's the playbook. Here's how we're going to execute everything. And so they start, they start trying everything out. So they get a play and they work it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they get to Sunday, play doesn't work. All right, back to the drawing board. And they get back to practice and they go, okay, we're going to do this over and over and over and over and over again with the intention of executing that plan come Sunday. Now imagine if Sunday comes around coach is out on the field. He's looking for all the players. He goes back in the locker room and they're going nuts. Like they're like champagne bottles are going off everywhere and they're just celebrating, hooping and hollering. He's like, Hey, what are y'all celebrating about? And they're like, coach, we did it. We practiced all week long. Like I'm still a little tired. Like it was a good week of practice coach. Is coach going to be proud? <laughs> no. Why not? Because practice doesn't matter unless it gets executed. And the reason why I say the church reminds me of a reverse football team is because for us, this is our practice. This is the huddle. This is that moment where we get together and say, hey, y'all, we know what we're supposed to do. Yeah, everybody's on the same page. Break. And then we go out and we execute. Practice is, is awesome. It's a safe place where if a player, if you go to an NFL or a college practice and, and you see a player and he's supposed to run a certain route, somebody else may come up if they mess up. Like the quarterback may walk up to him and say, hey, man, listen, you zigged when you should have zagged. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. We learn from our mistakes. We fix the mistakes. And then we execute. And that's what the church needs to be. This needs to be a breeding place for love where we can come together and say, hey, listen, we're all broken. We're all messed up. We're all trying to figure it out, but let's figure it out together. I leave room for your mistakes. And even when you mess up, guess what? I'm gonna come alongside you and say, hey, listen, you zigged when you should have zagged, but it's all right. Let's get this right together for two reasons. One, because the moment those doors open up, we need to head out and we need to execute that love and we need to show that love to the entire world. But also, guess what? When we invite people back here, they need to see that we live out what we've been talking about for so long. They need to see that this is a family that has countered the culture. They need to come in here and say, man, there is something different in this community from what I've gotten everywhere else. That's what a counterculture life looks like. So for us here in the room, what can we do to start taking those steps? How can we start moving forward in that direction? I wanna give you a couple of ways. One, I think you need to start showing up. Let's be consistent in how we show up. You may be saying, hey, listen, if the church is the people, I don't really know a lot of people at my church. For some of us, the easy fix to that is, hey, you've been coming once or twice a month. Why don't you start coming three or four times a month? Because when you start to see people and interact with them, that's how you get to know them better and better. For some people who are watching online, listen, we are so thankful to be able to have this online platform. We love it. But for some of you, staying at home and watching the service is merely an act of convenience. 
For some of you, if you are gonna be connected in community, you may need to show up. You may need to see people in their eyes. You may need to connect with them, uh, be it in small groups or whatever. Listen, if, if you are in a legitimate case where you say, hey, I can't get to the service, I'm not shaming you for that. What I'm saying is that when the live stream ends, don't just hop on Instagram. Look at your family around you and say, hey, let's, let's celebrate this thing that we got to share in together. What I'm saying is, is that if there are friends uh, who you know that are also Christ followers, or if there are people in your neighborhood who also love Jesus, invite them into your home, love them in proximity. And if you're one of those people who you're like, oh, I'm not even in North Carolina. Listen, we love that you've chosen to join us here at gethope.tv, but there are local communities or local churches right in your community full of people who you have the most important thing in the world in common with. You're sinners saved by grace who unite around the name of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, find that community, find those people, love them well. Maybe you're here and you need to get involved in a small group. Maybe you need to find a way that you don't just come into the doors, sit down for a service, leave, and then do repeat week after week after week. But maybe it, maybe it means you stop in the lobby a little bit. When we hear that, dun, 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 that stresses all of us out and then we start running in. Maybe you get in a little bit earlier than that and say, hey, what's your name? Hey, did you know we have the most important thing? This is going to sound weird. I'm your sister. <laughs> Just say that and then see what happens next. I'm really curious. That's the emails we want to get. We want to hear those stories. But man, we have such a beautiful thing. What we meet for is not just to hear somebody talk for 30 minutes or more, sorry. <laughs> but we get together to celebrate an actual expression of the gospel here in community. Let's not forget that. Let's do what Peter commands us to. Let's love the brotherhood. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for who you are. And we're thankful for the ways that you love us in spite of, God, in spite of. And so, Lord, I just ask that each and every one of us, that you would, um, that you would recalibrate our hearts right now. That you would uh, shift our focus away from ourselves, away from all of these false things that we've put our identity in. And God, I pray that you would calibrate our hearts to you and to the people who sit on the left and the right of us, to our church family, to our community. Lord, I pray for those people. I understand there is a reality that there are people who say, hey, I've wanted to find community. I just can't find my people. God, I, I just pray that you supernaturally, you'll place them together. What we get to do week in and week out is a beautiful expression of the gospel. And so, Lord, <laughs> I know there are plenty of times when we get it wrong. But I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us how to live a type of love in this community that is counter the culture that we see outside of these walls. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.